0: This is Juror 13. You are Juror 13. Tonight you'll hear interviews, opinions, and reports. Then you will have an opportunity to decide. This is malice, money, motorcycles, and murder. The Randy Stevens case, Savannah, Georgia. Status, currently unsolved, 21 years. Juror 13 is brought to you in partnership with Crime Stoppers. Crime Stoppers is offering an $80,000 reward for tips leading to the successful capture and prosecution of the person or persons responsible for the murder of Randy Stevens. At the end of this program, learn how to contact Crime Stoppers anonymously to help solve this case.
1: The ideas, insights, and theories expressed in the following program are opinions and are not necessarily those of the producers. All persons are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law.
0: Welcome back to Juror 13. I'm Tom Mullady. If you remember last week on episode three, we spoke with Linda Stevens again. She wanted to set the record straight about some of the things she felt were either incorrect statements or just outright lies regarding the day she was robbed and her husband Randy was murdered. In the spirit of fairness, we wanted to make sure that her voice was heard. After all, she was the one who was there. She was the one who went through it and that much we know for certain. As juror 13, it's got to be difficult for you all to decide where this is headed. You got to know what you believe as you sift through all of these conflicting statements and circumstantial claims. I admit it, it's perplexing. However, you are juror 13. Tonight, Randy Stevens' older brother Bobby speaks with us candidly, in depth, about being the first family member to arrive at this bloody scene. What he experienced, what he saw, what he felt as he recollects all of what happened before, during, and after. Tonight, Bobby Stevens on Juror 13, Malice, Money, Motorcycles, and Murder, The Randy Stevens Case, Episode 4, Beware the Dog. So, as I told you, on this episode, we're going to speak with Randy's brother, Bobby. Now, I've, I speak with Bobby often on the phone. We've met in person. Uh, like Linda, he's been eagerly available through all of this, cooperative on every level. Though pleasant and smiling most of the time, the damage by all of this has clearly been done. Uh, his pain is noticeable just underneath the surface, especially in his eyes. Now, Bobby has a past. He was no saint, that's for sure. But time has changed most of that, it seems. And we're not here for that anyway. We all have our stuff. At the start of our first in-depth interview, we sat down at a quiet room near the beach, and I asked him that same question I've asked everyone. Where were you when you heard?
2: When the phone rang, I answered it, and I heard this person screaming. They shot him. They shot him. And I was like, Linda, what are you talking about? What's, what's going on? And she said, they shot Randy, they shot Randy, they, they robbed us. And I said, oh, okay, I'm on the way.
0: Bobby raced over from his house, also in Savannah, to Randy's house on Duval Street. He made it there in about 20
2: minutes. Blue lights everywhere, um, people out in the streets, um, yellow tape everywhere. So I immediately ran to check on my brother. Police officers, you know, they grabbed me trying to stop me. I said, look, man, that's my brother. I got to see him. I got to see him. So anyway, there were two emergency vehicles in the yard. Randy was in one of them. And then my next thought was, where's Linda, his wife? She was in the other. Okay. I could see something in my brother's mouth that when he did breathe, it would inflate. Okay. So I knew he was still alive at okay. that moment. Okay. So the next thing I wanted to do was to try to talk to Linda, my sister-in-law, his wife, to find out what happened. Were you able to speak with her at that time? Well, after I found her, she was in the back of one of the emergency vehicles. And I think I spoke to her and asked her what happened. She said they robbed us, um, two, two masked men. And um, we gave them what they asked for. And I said, what did they get? She said, um, they wanted the money. And I said, "So you, you gave him the money, and they still shot him?" And she said, "Yes, they shot him. They shot him four times." And I said, "Okay, well, let me just try and get myself together." And and um, I know he's breathing because I can see the balloon inflating and stuff. so so. Um, did any of the police
0: talk to you at that time? The detectives or the officers? Did anyone give you any information or ask you any questions? No. The ambulances sped off toward the hospital with Bobby on their tail. This is what happened when he arrived.
2: I went around the backside of the hospital, like where the ambulance went, because mm-hmm. I wanted to talk to my brother, but I wasn't able to do that. But when they took him off of the bed, and they pushed it up. I could see all the blood yeah. coming off of it. So I said, God, he's lost so much blood. And then I immediately went into the hospital to sit in the room where you know they provided for us while they were working on me. I was the first to arrive. And um, my dad was on the school bus. He was driving the school bus that morning. Um, my sister was in Atlanta at a convention. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother was en route to the hospital. Every time
0: there's a trauma, people have their hypotheticals about how they would behave in the face of it. Bobby noted here that there were specific differences about how he would have handled the situation if he had been in Linda's position.
2: She didn't ride with him in the ambulance that he was in. Um, Evidently she went in the one that she was sitting in. I don't think Linda rode with Randy. If I can remember correctly. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Because there there were two ambulances there. Linda was in one, Randy was in one. And she
0: wasn't injured.
2: No. No, not yeah. at all. Um, Did
0: you find that troubling that she would be not want to ride with him in the ambulance or I uh, and want to be in a separate one, or do you think they? they I, I think
2: caused that to, uh, I think she was in shock. Yeah. You know, I, if I had to say anything, I think she was in shock. But right. she definitely wasn't in the ambulance with Randy. Right. And another thing I noticed that was a little unusual, she didn't have any blood on her because if that was my wife, I would have been. Yeah. tugging and holding and yeah. screaming and all that. Now,
0: take note here that Bobby says in the beginning very clearly she was in shock. So you may simply take that to understand that he believed that was the case. And all we know is that everyone handles trauma differently. As a matter of fact, she had told me that she was just too freaked out by all the blood and just couldn't do it. And it's also possible that She wouldn't have even been allowed in the ambulance. However, I couldn't help but notice that Bobby had sort of an ominous tone when he recounted that. All right, we've heard expert opinions about the fact that no matter what a person's training, what a person's background, if they're suddenly exposed to a violent attack on a loved one, it's going to cause a different reaction in practically everyone. Let me ask you this. If your loved one was brutally assaulted or the victim of gun violence, do you think that you would want to be physically close to them? Or would you stand back and let the MS work and transport them without you? You tell me, because you are Juror 13. Cast your vote and tell us what you think at juror13.live. At this point, Bobby went on to explain to me what he encountered at the hospital when he got there and what happened when everyone started
2: to arrive. Before my mom got there, um, all I can remember is seeing a lot of white jackets coming towards me. And I said, okay, is he still alive? What's going on? And they said to me, we're sorry to tell you this, Your, your brother's gone. At that point, I was completely lost, Mm -hmm. but I still realized I had to tell my parents that that he was gone. I told her Randy was gone. She completely passed out. She was admitted into the hospital. The mental
0: picture conjured by the idea of Bobby having just learned about his younger brother's death by homicide, then going on to give that news to his mother who is so overcome that she literally passes out and has to be admitted to the hospital is beyond tragic. His father's stoicism though, is recognizable to anyone who has contact with folks. And I'm gonna say this in this instance, men specifically from that World War II generation. despite the advice of pop psychology talk show hosts and modern emotional theory, shelved their feelings in those moments instinctively, putting their feelings aside simply because their loved ones cannot. Mr. Stevens carried this burden until the day he died. Anna Stevens, his wife, joined him eight years later. It's no wonder that Paige and Anna Stevens were married for 55 years. As time passed and the police got to work trying to close the case, one of Bobby's friends came under suspicion. I'd asked Bobby, what was it like and how do you deal with this? It all started with one of Linda's tips to the lead detective, Armando Tamarga. Her suspicion then
2: was directed at Derek Duncan. Linda was very adamant about uh, Derek having something to do with Randy's murder for some reason just felt like Derek had something to do with it.
0: When I mentioned to Linda that I remembered a quote of hers about her talking about Derek Duncan as a person of interest or someone she suspected in Randy's murder, she had this to say.
1: The reason I said that, when we left the race that Saturday in Jacksonville, there was a race Sunday the next day Mm in in Savannah. Mm -hmm. A mutual friend of me and Randy's came over to the house and told me that when they was at that track Sunday, Derek made the comment, "We ought to go over there and rob that." <laughs> I told Detective to Tamago.
0: I spoke with Derek Duncan at length, and we have a full interview with him that we're going to air at a later date. But this is a small sample of what his reaction was to Linda's accusation. She
2: had pointed the finger at you. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, absolutely. It had me really hurt.
0: So obviously because of this, Bobby was thrust into the middle of this whole thing and probably was wondering what was what. This is how he dealt with it.
2: Derek and I are still friends today, Mm -hmm. and we're talking 21 years later. Mm -hmm. I don't feel as if he had anything to do with my brother's murder. Maybe he knows more than what he's told us, but the things that I've asked him to do so far as polygraphs and stuff, he's done them. Did you ever ask Derek Duncan specifically,
0: did you do this? Did you have anything to do with this?
2: Yes, yes, I did. Derek said to me, player, I loved your brother. I would never do anything to hurt him.
0: One of the things that's nagging me personally, and I don't usually do this, but it's its just, it bothers me. It's probably simple. There's probably a simple explanation for it. But the thing is, is the dog. Now, Randy had a dog named Brock. It was a gargantuan dog. A Pero de Canario, or a Paradepressa. That is what they call him now, I guess. Um, it's a huge Mastiff-like dog. Uh, Bobby mentioned that it was about 170 pounds. When I talked to Linda, it was, it was probably more about 125 pounds, but, but imposing either way. Now, Randy had rearranged a portion of the fence, and he moved it back so that Rock didn't have access to the place of the yard where he could do damage to Linda's flowers. That morning, if he had been in the other section, we might not be here today. The whole thing gets me thinking, and I go round and round. Now, I've got a blue-tick coon house and his nose is as he is. I mean, he picks up a scent two blocks away and further than that. So in conversation with a number of folks, I got to thinking, from all I've heard about Rock, Rock was a beware of the dog kind of dog. Wouldn't he have alerted to the scent or sound no matter where he was in the yard? And from what I observed, he couldn't have been more than 30 feet away even if he was in that secondary area. Now granted, he was inconsolable after the gunshots, but no one recalls him barking in advance. This makes me wonder, why not? I talked to Bobby Stevens about Rock and how he would behave as a watchdog. Let me ask you this question. If there was any altercation or if there were uh, an assailant or assailants lying in wait, uh, if they were near the house prior to the attack, would he have alerted? Oh, definitely. I also spoke with Linda Stevens about rock and she gave me the exact details.
1: Rock was in the backyard.
0: Okay and he was making noise or not making noise or did you hear it? I him? don't
1: recall because Randy put a fence behind the house because he kept tearing up my uh, plants on, by the patio. He was pushing the screen on the patio so he put a fence so rock couldn't come all the right way around that side.
0: Would, would he be able he had to?
1: Access to the other driveway and that other side of the yard. And when we need that that gate open behind the house, Rock can come all the way around to that side. I guarantee you, if that gate was open and he could come around, Rock would have cleared that fence.
0: Right. Because our rock
1: wild has jumped the four foot fence. And
0: he was bigger than Rock, so I know Rock would have cleared the fence. So Rock did not have access to that Rock did not have
1: access to that side of the house.
0: Was he ordinarily a pretty good watchdog? Even Did he bark
1: if somebody come in the yard?
0: Even if he didn't have access to that area? Yeah. I had a conversation with Brandy Trotter, who's Linda's daughter. Um, She gave me a lot of insight as to what was going on. She lived with Randy and Linda over on Duval Street at different times um randy was like a father to her so we'll be talking to her a lot in the next few episodes but this is her remembering rock he was contained back there he didn't have access no he did not so he wouldn't have barked even though he had denied access he wouldn't bark if
1: something was going on yes he would bark if something was going on but i don't know that he barked that morning to alert my my dad
0: so now you're probably figuring out what's bothering me. Simply, why didn't Rock alert until the gunshots? He had to be, at some point, restrained so that the police could do their jobs. But why didn't anyone hear him before that? Now we spoke with a neighbor across the street who was ready to tell me about everything that they saw. Stuff that's really important. Yet suddenly, they won't answer calls, texts, or any contact I try to make. Why didn't anyone think, beware of the dog? On the next Juror 13, we'll be speaking with Randy's little sister, Sandra Stevens-Smalls, and we're going to hear all about her experiences and her thoughts about Randy's murder. Then, we'll start to look at how the crime was investigated, what evidence was collected, and more specifically, what evidence was overlooked and why. We'll see you next week for the next installment of the Randy Stevens case, Episode 5, Which Way Did They Go? Which Way Did They Go? Hi, this is Tom Milady again. Um, This is something I hate to do, but it's something that's extremely necessary. We need to ask you for donations. Um, Subscriptions are also very important, but if you can, we're trying to keep things up and running and move this case forward, and it's going to take a little bit of money, so I have to ask. Uh, You can find the links on the website, juror 13live Thank you very much. I know I talked to you all about Crime Stoppers last week and the value that this tremendous anonymous program holds. The Randy Stevens case has a reward for $80,000. And I've stated that before. Everybody knows that now. There's $80,000 out there if you can help solve the case. I know that you are out there. I know that you are. I know that you're listening, and I know that you know something about this case. So take a good long look in the mirror and understand that there's a big difference between doing the right thing and snitching. So choose to do the right thing. The Stevens family needs your help. Click on Crime Stoppers logo or press play on the Crime Stoppers executive director, Brittany Herron's explanation of how to go about helping and collecting your reward. Juror13.live. When the episode is over, the facts remain. Juror13.live. Photos, facts, and faces. See the people and the events that we talk about in every episode. Read opinions, reports, and theories. Vote on Juror13.live. You are Juror13. Interact with special guests on announced dates and post your opinions and surveys about certain people, places, and things associated with Juror13. Download episodes. Join our first alerts list. Help us to help the Stevens family, folks. Remember, you can listen to new episodes of Jura 13 weekly on Spotify, or you can just listen to any past episode or update at any time you desire on Jura13.live. Jura 13 relies on your support. If you'd like to help us continue our mission to help the Stevens family, we gratefully accept any donation or contribution. Simply go to the website, juror13.live, and click on the links. Thanks again for listening to Juror 13. Tonight, Juror 13 wants to thank Brandi Trotter, Linda Stevens, Bobby Stevens, Derek Duncan, Maya Eshet, Lamont Cranston, and as always my indomitable producer, Martin Rothstein, and I'm your host, Tom Milady. Remember, you are Juror 13.